Being able to access a high percentage of your maximum force is really what defines athletes that are next level compared to others. Hey y'all, I'm Ryan Devlin and I am so psyched to share this Struggle Climbing Show Pro Clinic today with Dr. Tyler Nelson. Tyler joined us last season for our expert analysis episode on training and now he is back to focus specifically on training finger power. But you know what, we go off on some pretty mind-blowing tangents with regard to max strength, fingerboarding do's and don'ts, and so much more. In this pro clinic, y'all, Tyler identifies common pitfalls and shares tips for beginner, intermediate, and advanced climbers to level up their power. I'm talking about contact strength, fast fingers, all that good stuff. And he also blows up long-held understandings on finger training in general. And he's sharing actionable and simple protocols that we can all implement to save time, reduce injury risk, and level up our training and performance. I'm telling you guys, my mind was blown no less than a dozen times here in this chat with Tyler. And I feel like dozen is the right unit of measurement here because Tyler and I both take our donut consumption very seriously. This Pro Clinic's made possible by patrons of the show. So if you're a patron, thank you. I love you. You get access to this entire episode and man, is it packed with the goods. Now, if you're not a patron, I still love you and I would love for you to consider joining the Struggle community. It's really awesome. I can tell you more about it in just a little bit, but first, let's grip down on some big concepts and even bigger vocabulary in this Pro Clinic with Dr. Tyler Nelson. So man, you seem like you've been busy as ever, and and on t- on top of it all, you've been taking on skateboarding. You've been you've been skating a bit. I have been skateboarding a bit, which has been really fun. It's a f- fun distraction for me because it's something I've never done. Yeah, sick. And you've kind of gone all out. I mean, you've got like a legit ramp in your backyard. Where is this psych coming from? Is it is it from you or is it from your kids? Yeah, I have three little boys, but. The one Luke likes to skateboard and then the other one, Henry, was interested. And so we were going to like skate parks close by. And, you know, for little kids, it's easy to get intimidated by bigger kids being there and not knowing what they're doing. And it's hard to like, you know, build their confidence in that setting. So we just like, you know, my wife had the idea of building a mini ramp in our backyard. I was like, yeah, that sounds amazing. I love I love seeing you learning those new skills kind of like in real time, too, as you post those videos of you skateboarding. Um, and, and today, you know, a little bit of a segue, it's a perfect segue is, is to talk about learning new skills here, or at least learning new training methodologies. And one of the things that you've been posting a lot about recently is training fingers. And of course, today we're going to focus on rate of force development or training fast fingers. And that's the clinic that you're going to take us through. And I'm really hyped on that. But before we do, I kind of want to just touch on this like breaking news, if you will, or at least some some new ways of looking at training max strength that may not just be hanging a ton of weight off of a hangboard. I mean, it's like, I don't think the fingerboard is like a, a bad intervention at all. And for a beginner, it's probably the most easy access point for someone to intentionally train their fingers. But, you know, my business is 
consulting with mostly experienced climbers that have finger injuries and they all are doing the same things and they're all overloading the connective tissues in a manner that now we know is not really that advantageous for muscular strength, but it's, you know, this reliance on this passive tension. So it's essentially just, they're doing eccentric muscle contractions, which are really capable of tolerating a lot of load. But that extra load is not really going to transfer to rock climbing. And, and just so I'm understanding it, because I don't want to go down a whole rabbit hole here. I want to make sure we're staying focused on the on the topic at hand. But just so that I'm understanding from what I've heard and read from you, the idea of like, like an eccentric or essentially for, correct me if I'm wrong as I'm saying this, but essentially if you're doing like a heavy hang, like a max hang load, you're just kind of preventing your hand from opening. Um and and that is different than actively trying to close your your hand, um, right? And so the difference there is you're loading the tendons and using the muscles that you have at a much higher load to prevent your hand from going maybe from a half crimp to a open position or something like that versus what I think you're discovering here is for training for strength on the wall, you actually want to more be trying to close your hand, maybe going from a half crimp to like a full crimp? Or did I totally butcher that? No, 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 that's not, no, that was great description. You know, but when we do like a overcoming isometric, we're not going to really move the finger angle that much. But yeah, the intention mm -hmm. is there is to, you know, try and clamp down actively on whatever it is surface you're using at a slow build of max intensity to make sure that we're getting a lot of recruitment. Because really the goals that we're trying to get out of our strength training on our fingerboard is really to increase our strength. Like, right. And that strength that applies to the climbing wall is like all muscular recruitment for the most part. And with that muscular recruitment, we definitely get some passive tension, which is important for climbing as well, but not to the point that we do it on a fingerboard with really heavy loads. My default... Um, assumption when it comes to any training on the hangboard, especially at like heavy weights, is that you're training the tendons because there's so much emphasis put on the tendons. You know, it's pulley injuries and ruptures and like, let's overload the fingers and, and strengthen those tendons. But correct me if I'm wrong, but like what you're saying here is like, yes, tendon health is important, but what's going to help you climb better is actually those finger flexor muscles, right? And it's the muscles that you're talking about training here where you're doing those overcoming isometrics where you're essentially trying to not just prevent your hand from opening, but almost trying to kind of curl into the board or the tension block or whatever. Yeah, the tendons you mentioned, like loading the tendons for sure is helpful and important. But my estimated load based on the pull test with on an edge was, a, was 200 pounds on top of my body weight. So for, for me to do that, it might be fun to do it and it might be fun to try. But that's an absolute waste of my time because that's not going to give me an adaptation to my muscles necessarily, you know, but it's going to be risky. And so the other thing to consider with a fingerboarding protocol is at some point, and I don't know that we know exactly what that point is, the loads that we're putting on the connective tissues are more risk than they are benefit because mm -hmm. all of that passive tension has to go through my joint capsule, has to go through the volar plate, has to go through the pulleys. Those things are really important. And so when I talk to a lot of, you know, professional climbers or people that are lifers for climbing, they're already overloading their fingers or additionally loading their fingers on the climbing wall. Doing it in an exceptionally greater intensity off the climbing wall doesn't really make much sense, especially if they're not getting as much recruitment out of it as they hope to get. 
Yeah, that is just super fascinating. And it really just seems to be blowing up. I mean, it's blowing my mind because it's really blowing up what the common understanding of training fingers, I think, has been for, for quite some time, which is to just maximally overload our fingers on a hangboard um, hanging, right? Rather than this overcoming isometric, like you're talking about, where it's much more of an emphasis on developing the finger flexor muscles. And again, we're going to get into fast fingers here in a second, but but I still think like the protocol here, the the paradigm of training fingers is changing and and understanding this as we get into how to train fast fingers is really important. And so just understanding that, yes, the hangboard has a place, max hangs have a place, but it is not necessarily the best way to train strong fingers by just hanging a ton of weight uh, passively or, or eccentrically, as you say. Um, that just seems to be kind of like an eye-opening shift in what uh, at least I've thought to be the golden rule for quite some time. Really, all we can get from our training and strength training is recruitment and coordination. That's like kind of the goals with that training and some tendon stiffness, which comes from high intensity things, which is either one of those. <clears throat> but the thing about like a really heavy hang is there's a component of coordination and the actual loads that we can hang with are the response of the muscle is dependent on that load. So as soon as we remove that load, we don't really have the potential of that adaptation anyways. Mm-hmm. And so all we're left with is our muscular recruitment. So if the goal with a finger training protocol is to increase recruitment levels, just do one that increases recruitment levels is not that complicated. And it's actually way less fatiguing and stressful and less risky than adding a bunch of load to your body and hanging for some set time point. And the fatigue accumulation with eccentrics is very well like documented in research in other sports and other and just muscle physiology in general. And that's kind of the stuff that I've spent a bunch of time learning now with the, from this researcher, Chris. Um, you know, where like, that's really what's fatiguing for exercises on multiple days, you know? So if someone does a heavy strength training workout on a fingerboard, they could be fatigued already going into it, but because the muscle fibers don't respond in the same way when doing it eccentric, they could still do their heavy hang protocol, even if they're tired. That long-term is not a good idea. That's super risky. But people have been doing it for years and some get away with it. Some get injured. A lot of people plateau. And the people that I talk to that have been doing max hangs for a long time, they realize they're not getting any stronger from it. Mm -hmm. They realize that it's not transferring to the climbing wall. And that's exactly part of the reason why. I just, I love how we can, you know, kind of continue to discover new things, right? Science is never settled. And, And first of all, I appreciate you as a scientist continuing to educate yourself. And then you just give it away to us, which is awesome. Um, so thank you for that. But also, I, I want to now bring this into training fast fingers, finger speed, which you have put a, a, a really high emphasis on with regards to its application to rock climbing. Far more important than strong fingers is fast fingers, you've, you've said um, many times. Although I think both are, are, are important, as, as you would say. But how can this, what, what you're discovering now about how we can train um, our fingers through this overcoming isometric. How does that apply to training fast fingers, or I think um, as sometimes you refer to it as um, rate of force development, is that right? 
Yeah, I think they just fit nice tightly together because I don't know that the new kind of methodology that I'm talking about has changed my opinion on rate of force development because climbers and athletes of all kinds have known that rate of force is more important than maximum force. Yeah, and let's actually, let me just like back to basics for a second on that. Um, there is a difference, as we learned from Alex Johnson in season one of The Struggle, and you and I talked about it in your expert analysis at the end of the season, there, there is a, a very clear difference between strong fingers and fast fingers. And as you said in that expert analysis episode, the strongest climber isn't the best climber necessarily. But for those who are just tuning in now and still trying to play catch up here, um, is there a is there a very dumbed down way for for me to understand the difference from your point of view between strong fingers and fast fingers? And then I guess we can get into some training protocols based on the the fast finger side of it. So maybe thinking about like when we measure maximum strength, people typically hit their peak force in like one and a half seconds. Mm -hmm. so really, it's the amount of recruitment that you can get in a couple seconds of time. If we contrast that with something that's faster that you would consider contact strength, that happens in 100 to 150 milliseconds. So a fraction of the time, you know, and so being able to access a high percentage of your maximum force is really what defines athletes that are next level compared to others, right? And so being able to access a lot of your force will certainly make you able to latch onto a hold more quickly. And just to look at the other side of that, where would max strength still be very important? Would it be just with regard to being able to rest on holds or just do like deep lock-offs where you have to grab a hold and then push it down to your waist or something like that, as opposed to like just latching onto a small edge dynamically, just maybe kind of practically speaking, where is max strength most used in climbing uh, on rock versus power? I would probably say they're more connected than people think because mm -hmm. really to get high levels of force in a strength context, you have to get high levels of recruitment. And the biggest muscle fibers are the type 2X muscle fibers. They naturally contract very quickly. So that's why a lot of people will notice that getting stronger naturally makes you a little bit more powerful. However, you have to get coordinated at moving at a greater velocity to actually express that power on a climbing wall. And that's where the sport is so much more important than a training methodology. You know, but the other thing that I see happen a lot that we've maybe talked about is a lot of the training methodologies people try and use for power development are too slow and they're not really making them faster in that context. So they're, they're more similar than they are different. So all athletes want to elevate both things slowly, simultaneously over the years. But ultimately, when we get into a sporting phase or we're only projecting, we want to get rid of the slow thing, which would be the strength training. And we want to emphasize the fast thing because if we do that appropriately with a low enough volume, it'll keep our recruitment very high and our strength won't go down at all. I love it. Fantastic. Great timing, too, because we're, um, at least at the time that we're talking here, um, getting into the fall season, and that is a perfect time for me and those who are experiencing a fall season right now to start focusing on performance and moving away from the slower type movements into the faster type movements. So um, let's dive in. Let's get into common pitfalls as well as your tips, your tricks, your protocols for beginner, intermediate, and advanced climbers 
as it pertains to training fast fingers, powerful fingers. That's what we all want to do. We want to be able to latch onto things, pull hard, and then move on. So let's get into that. But, but before we dive into the beginner side, let's use you as a guinea pig here. And obviously, this is your field of expertise, but I am curious still to learn if there's an area where you struggle specifically with this type of training. For sure. I mean, not as much now because now I'm, I'm much more aware of, you know, the underlying mechanisms by how this happens. But when I was in my late 20s, for sure, I was mostly a trad climber, which didn't mm-hmm. really require that much power output. And so the other thing that people is really important for people to consider is if you're a sport climber, just and that's kind of your MO and that's what you love to do, that's what you spend the majority of your time doing or a trad climber, you're not going to be as powerful as someone that only boulders. And so the comparison of those two athletes is not appropriate because the volume is so different and the fiber shifts that happen within the muscles between those athletes are so different. And so I came from, you know, mostly climbing an Indian Creek or Zion, which is not powerful at all, just a bunch of struggling and suffering and hurting, right? And then I would go and try and boulder and my bouldering was not elevating at all. And that really was a consequence of a lot of volume of what I was doing with the other stuff and a significantly different demand for a rate of force development. So my, I would not, I was not a very good bouldering athlete and it's easy to get frustrated if that's, you know, someone's background, if they love the adventure part of climbing, that's what got me into climbing. But I was not good at bouldering because I wasn't powerful at all. And I wasn't able to access as much force as I could have because my training was not appropriate. But since I've, you know, been bouldering for the last couple of years, I kind of transitioned and the grade went up very easily. And that really was just a focus on a different component of my training and then overall way less volume. Well, yeah, I mean, that was me in a nutshell as well. Just mostly climbing trad out West, um, certainly not focusing on power all that much or, or even finger strength, uh, to be honest. And then moving out to the red and they tend to be very long sport routes. I mean, it's certainly more powerful than trad climbing, but a lot of open hand pocket pulling overhung you know, 60, 80, 90, 100 foot routes. Um, But now I'm, you know, as I'm trying to push up into the grades, I'm running into boulder problems in the middle of a route. It might be a V3, it might be a V4, something that off the ground maybe wouldn't be limiting all that much, but of course, 50 feet up, it is. And so beginner in this sense could be somebody who's been climbing for a decade. Like you said, if, if you're just been climbing trad, you're doing adventure stuff, or you're doing these more endurance-based routes like like I had been focusing on. I, I guess, you know, I could be considered a beginner with regard to training rate of force development. Um, or it could also be somebody who's just getting started. Uh, maybe they're in their first couple of years of climbing, going, going to the gym, working on boulder problems there, but haven't focused a lot on specific types of training. So I guess let's use that as um, kind of our guardrails here for, for a beginner. And what would you say to folks who are at that training age? I would say for a beginner, the problem usually is, uh, you know, not enough recovery, you know, having too long of sessions, you know, even, and this matters for experts too, but even, you know, long sessions are more fatiguing than short sessions, even if the intensity is not that hard for the individual, because mm-hmm. that fatigue will carry over to, you know, 24, 48 hours sometimes after. And so beginners, especially people that really fall in love with climbing fast, they'll climb a lot. And as they do that, that volume just accumulates and that will take down their highest power output for sure. 
you know, so their fiber shift in the finger flexors and the forearm muscles, et cetera, will be more aerobic. So they'll learn to be more like enduring, let's say, but that's not very good for rate of force development and power output. So I would say that's one of the things. And then, you know, spending more time on small holds, like now the gyms, it's kind of hard if we're really trying to make the fingers, you know, have a little bit more recruitment, the typical gym set for beginners, not that hard on the fingers. And, you know, they want to, you know, maybe set aside some time. That's where a fingerboard, in my opinion, would work really good with your feet on the ground and just do some sort of, you know, intentional loading or a repeater or something that do get a little bit greater of a stimulus than you would on the climbing wall. And just do that like kind of as the warm up routine, couple hangs per session. And that's probably good enough for a beginner. Yeah. So, and I think you're right. Like for beginners, you, you get so psyched on the sport. You just want to go out and you want to clamp everything at the gym. Um, and usually they're all jugs. Like you're saying, if you're in that kind of V0 to V2 range, um, everything tends to be pretty big. Now, climbing a lot of volume at that stage, um, if you're psyched, is going to help you with technique and, you know, just, I think, efficiencies with climbing and learning how to flag and these kinds of things that, you know, are pretty um, uh, common, like the, the learning curve for a beginner. But you're saying it, at the same time, you should also be intentionally programming in some things that will develop that finger speed. And so if you're looking at a week for a beginner who's mostly spending time at the gym, like for me, for example, I used to go to the gym three days a week and I would just like climb five eights on the auto belay until I couldn't close my hands. And then I get in the car and I drive home. And then two days later, I go back and I do the same thing. And so how would you program that week if we wanted to intentionally focus on some more of that the finger speed as well? Uh, I would say they could do, depends maybe on if it was a sport climbing focus or bouldering focus, but that's a good use of a campus board for a beginner with their feet on because the holds are predictable and it's not going to be a bunch of weird direction change. It's not going to be very technical. So they don't need a lot of proficiency for it, but they could just like make, you know, maybe do three sets of four hand moves and try and do it a little quicker, try and be powerful on the campus board with a couple minutes rest between and then go into their normal climbing session. Doing the power things or the fast things first makes the most sense because those are the things that are the most important for skill development. When it comes to an athlete that's just psyched, like you mentioned you were, even though it's the fingers that we get fatigued and the fingers we're talking about, a lot of the fatigue is carried over and is influenced systemically, which means like my climbing skills and my ability to be coordinated for sure will go down if I make my forearms blasted in a session. So if I have my next session too soon, and I'm not fully recovered, my footwork will suck. My mm. like body positioning won't be very good. My overall coordination will go down a little bit too. And this is something that's like been super eye-opening for me with the new skateboarding thing. Like because I'm so familiar with climbing and a lot of people that have been climbing a long time, they're so comfortable with the skill, subtle changes in fatigue won't really be noted. But if it's a new skill... If I go and I try and skateboard when I'm tired, I'm going to break my hip. Like, it's terrifying. Like, I am not at all coordinated because I'm not good at the skill, which is really pretty important for, like, beginners to learn. If you're thrashing around on the wall and you can't, like, do coordinated moves and your, like, timing is off, that's a red flag. You want to avoid that space as much as you can. 
that's that is eye-opening to to understand that fatigue can impact skill and so is the takeaway for the beginner climber that adding in some of those like feet on campusing or some hangboarding um with a focus on you know just just pulling down on that edge um quickly or or as hard as you can just with your feet on the ground or if you're pulling a block up from from off the ground as you prefer doing that before you would do your normal climbing session so if you're going to go to the gym a couple days a week you would just do five or ten minutes of that kind of first and then get into your regular fun climbing or more volume climbing or is there a sense for quote-unquote junk mileage there because you're like mixing energy systems uh, I would say for a beginner, the easiest way to build skills and proficiency is frequency. So again, as we mentioned, like with my new tool in my backyard, I can do 30 minutes every day, which is not a huge amount of fatigue. Like I'm fit enough to tolerate that. But that's a pretty small dosage where I can just like keep trying it and keep practicing and stuff. It's really when new climbers go to the gym for hours. And, uh, you know, probably after 60 minutes, there's really no use in being there because the skills have deteriorated and they're not really learning anything that they're going to remember that's going to carry over to another session. So a beginner would be much better off, you know, having like I would just probably use a fingerboard for beginner and have them do a little bit of fingerboarding as they're warm up with their feet down, then go into a climbing session, make sure they leave before the session. They're really tired. Make sure they recover better than their fatiguing their body and come back and do that a couple of days per week. And that should be easy to recover from. The sessions that are higher intensity for an athlete tend to be shorter naturally because they get tired quickly. And that's an okay thing for a beginner. Like it's not more risky for a beginner to try hard for their own relative level of strength. What's What they can do is they can't tolerate the stress that a pro athlete would do, right? But they're not going to be able to do that anyway. Yeah, so shorter, higher intensity, more frequent sessions when possible, of course, compared to like really long beat yourself up, crawl out of the gym sessions. And I think that makes sense. Um, You know, it makes sense to me here. Of course, when I was just starting climbing, the psych was super high. I just wanted to spend hours at the gym. So I think it's something that's maybe easier said than done. But for those who are out there who are beginners who are listening, um, or even elite athletes, Alex Johnson was on this show last season and talked about how she worked with you, in fact, and really identified when to stop. When the power output went down, she would stop an exercise or she wouldn't train at all that day. And so it takes some discipline regardless of the level. But I think just that general rule makes sense. Shorter, higher intensity sessions. And for a beginner then, just if, if we're going to kind of um, wrap up this, this part uh, before we move on to intermediate, if, if we're going to go into the gym and we're planning to do some climbing that'll work on skills and uh, work on our technique and just be fun, if we're going to start with like a feet on the ground hangboard for five or 10 minutes, like you're saying, I think that's just a really a good, easy, basic way for beginners to focus on training their finger strength and their power. So you're going to start there. But if that's essentially your warm-up before you go climbing, is there a warm-up that you should do before that, like a warm-up to the warm-up or a warm-up rather um, before you start pulling hard on an edge or before you start pulling fast on a smaller edge than you would typically be doing in your climbing? Uh, I would probably have them do it just at sub max intensity. So not at 100%, do it at 55%. 
do it at the second set at 75%, do it at 85%, do it at 95%. They're just really training to get different levels of recruitment before they actually go and they train. So you're trying to get blood flow to the muscle, trying to load the tendon, trying to load some of the connective tissues of the fingers and then get ready, right? And I typically have people do like some sort of upper body thing, lower body thing, fingers thing. So it's kind of like a, a more systemic kind of warm-up routine, which includes fingerboarding. And I would say for a beginner, that is absolutely enough finger training they would ever need to do. You know, but it's a really small dosage because still the majority of the connective tissue adaptations and all the passive tension they're going to get as a climber will come from the climbing wall. But we don't need to start someone off doing that too much as a beginner. Got it. Awesome. Simple. Uh, I think the the best protocol is the one that you can follow, and that is one that we should all be able to follow. In fact, at any at any level, whether it's beginner, intermediate, or advanced, there's just something uh, to to take away from that section there. But now let's uh, move forward. Let's move into what would be considered an intermediate climber, and it's always hard to define this by grade or or even training age, but you've obviously moved past beginner. You're focusing on your training. You're moving up through the grades. I think uh, maybe 5'10 to 5'12, somewhere in that range that would put me in, in that bucket, even though I've been climbing for a decade. I think just my, at least with regard to my um, sport and bouldering grades, I'm I'm probably squarely in that camp. And for bouldering... What do you think? Like maybe up to um, like V5 or V6, somewhere in that area? Yeah, I think I think that's where people get trapped is like the V6 range is pretty common. Is, that was definitely my experience um, and some of my friends' experience. I would say the common pitfall for those athletes is they're not moving fast enough. They're not like intentionally being more. And that wraps up your free intro, your free taste to training power and so much more with the man, the myth, Dr. Tyler Nelson. If you think that that first section there was eye-opening and mind-blowing, just wait until he gets into intermediate and advanced pitfalls and protocols, as well as then dipping into hangboard protocols, pull-ups, and what to change when you're looking to peak in season. I'm telling y'all, I have made huge changes to my own personal training plan as a result of this chat, and it has already made a noticeable difference for me on the wall. So if this is an area that you'd like to improve in your own climbing, pop on over to patreon.com slash the struggle climbing show to check things out. For about the price of a cheap beer or a fancy cup of coffee each month, you can gain access to all of the pro clinics, early and ad-free episodes, limited edition swag, and other cool perks. And of course, you can cancel anytime. No worries. So I am grateful for whatever support you could throw my way, working hard over here in the podcast slash utility closet to bring you content that will hopefully improve your climbing, but also just entertain you and bring um, some value to your day as you're listening to me in your car or out on your walk or while you're warming up there on the wall. So um, thank you. Thank you for checking that out. And also another thing to check out is that Tyler is offering uh, finger training, personalized clinics through his website, as well as you can book a session with him. So if you liked what you heard here and you join as a patron and you listen to the full thing and you want to go even deeper, or maybe you just want to stop right now and say, forget you, Ryan, let me just go work with Tyler directly. 
awesome. You should do that. He's awesome. You can gain access to all sorts of cool stuff if you become a client of his. And he's also just always sharing really cool and thoughtful stuff on Instagram. So pop over there and check that out. At C4HP is his handle on IG. And also his website, camp4humanperformance.com. That's the number four, camp4humanperformance.com to book a session with him or check out all of the other resources that he's offering. So good luck to you with your finger training, your power training, peaking for in season. I just love the climbing community and I am going to keep cranking out high quality content for y'all from here in the podcast slash utility closet. So thank you for making that possible. And look, we got more pro clinics to come, some great ones in the hopper right now, along with, of course, regular episodes of The Struggle. I'm super psyched. Struggle makes us stronger. Let's climb hard and do good things in the world.